Well, good morning, Central Heights. It's uh, great to be here with you. My name is David. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at the church, and it's uh, my privilege to continue us on in this series that we're calling Words That Change Your World. It's a series on prayer, and it's a series that is looking at this prayer that that Jesus gave to his first disciples, the first people to, to follow him when they came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They had, watched, they had watched Jesus pray. They had seen how he connected to God. They had, they had watched this, this something different in Jesus' prayer life. And they came to Jesus and said, we want some of that. We want in on this prayer life that you have, Jesus. And so teach us how to pray. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at this, this prayer that Jesus gave to them in response to that great desire. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. And we find it in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the stories of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what we're doing each and every week is we're looking at one line of this great prayer and we're unpacking it. And we're applying it to our lives and we're, and we're moving deeper into this prayer life that Jesus has had and wants for us. And so ultimately the, the desire of this series is that you and I as a church, we would grow in prayer. That wherever we are at in our journey with prayer, uh, if we pray a lot and then you have a really beautiful and deep and rich prayer life, or maybe we don't have that at all, that wherever you are at, this series would help you with God's help move beyond where you're at to having a deeper and richer prayer life. And I don't know about you, but I want that for my life. I want to be a a prayer warrior, someone who prays powerfully, who makes prayer a priority, who leans in on prayer and and connects with God in a a meaningful way, not just to go through a bunch of formulas or or, uh, have a robotic or empty prayer life, but something that's more than what I currently have. And that wasn't always the desire of my heart, though. See, in my early days of following Jesus, um, prayer wasn't a priority. Prayer was, wasn't something I focused on. And, and because of that, uh, my prayer life wasn't so great. And I had a lot of bad moments in prayer, moments that I wish I could take back, moments that I actually cringe thinking about now. And one in particular was, was really, really cringeworthy. And I want to share that with you this morning. It happened in my first ministry position. I was uh, fairly new in ministry, and we had gathered before this, this gathering. There was a big group of us, and we were, all, we were all praying, and we were asking God, like, God, can you move? Can you do stuff uh, in our midst during this, this gathering that we're about to have? And I was like, well, I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm on staff here now, and I, 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 you know, I, gotta, I gotta set an example. And so my heart was pounding, and I was like, okay, I'm new. I'm gonna lean in and pray. And so I started to pray, and this is how my prayer started. God, would you make our hearts moist for you today? I mean, what? When I kind of stuttered, my heart's not a baked good. It's not a muffin. It's not, it's not something that you, you eat. It's not a Danish. Uh, oh, and I got really flustered, and I got, I got flushed. My, I, I started to get sweaty. I, I got embarrassed, and then I was like, well, i got to keep going because it's going to get even weirder than it is currently if I don't continue to pray. And so I started to continue praying, and, and I grinded it out, and I got to the end, and I just shook my head, and I wanted to crawl in a hole and hide. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And as soon as they said amen, I got up, I ran out of that room and I hid because I didn't want to face anybody because I was ashamed of how I had prayed. And um, I'm scarred by this, actually, as I tell this story to you. And my wife doesn't let me forget it either that this happens. And so to this day, I have never used the word moist in a prayer. So praise God for that. (laughs) So this moment makes me cringe. It's something that's hard for me, but there's a silver lining in this story and the silver lining is that this moment was a turning point for me. It was a kickstart that I needed to, to say that what I had currently in my prayer life was not good enough. 
that I needed to actually make this a focus, make this a priority, that I actually had to start practicing my prayer life. I had to actually make this something that was not just on a low level of, of priority, but one of the biggest priorities in my life. And so this moment, while cringeworthy, kick-started a desire in me to, to grow in, in prayer. But it, almost, it also reminds me that prayer is learned by doing. Prayer is practice. Prayer is something that we grow in, and that growth is possible when we lean in to Jesus and learn from him and open ourselves up to what he wants to do in us. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we continue our series looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. We are going to read this prayer together, and then we're going to zero in on the phrase, your kingdom come. And so let me pray as we begin, and then we will read the scripture together. God Almighty, God of mercy and grace, we come before you as people on a journey, a journey with you, Jesus, but also a journey in this thing called prayer. And so God, we humble ourselves before you here now in this moment, and we ask that you would teach us to pray that you would show us a way to, to move beyond whatever it is we have now when it comes to our prayer life, but that you would lead us by your spirit beyond that to something more, something deeper. And so teach us now, Lord. Empower me, Holy Spirit. And would you speak to us, Lord, and lead us further. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. These are the words of Jesus. In verse 9, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so with these words, what Jesus is doing is he's giving shape to a way to pray that, that is primarily about God and not us. If you see the first few lines of this prayer, Jesus anchors us in something that is beyond ourselves, something that is about more than us, something that is bigger and grander and more eternal than us and our, our stories and what is going on in the here and now. Jesus gets to us, and we'll get to that in a few weeks, but before he gets to us, before he gets to our needs, our wants, our circumstances, he gets to God. He gets to the things of God, the things that are on God's heart, the eternal things, the, the ultimate things, and so in prayer, before it's about us, Jesus teaches us that it's about God, that there's this heavenly orientation that happens in the first five lines. Look again what Jesus says. He starts with our Father in heaven. He moves to the name of God. He says, hallowed be your name. Honor and glory to your name. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what Jesus is doing in these first five lines is he's getting our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, off of the things that are really, really important, the needs that we have in our lives. But he's getting our eyes up off of those and he's getting us on God, God's name, God's kingdom, God's Will. He wants us to start with something bigger than us. He wants us, us to get swept up into something that's more than our world and what we experience. And so before prayer is about us, it's about God, church. Before prayer is about what matters to us, it's about what matters to God. And, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's anchoring us there as we begin this prayer. Tim Keller, in summing up the, the first half of this prayer, says, prayer begins with God because prayer is God-centered. The primary place in our prayers is left. 
to praising and honoring God, yearning to see his greatness and see it acknowledged everywhere, and to aspire to full obedience. And so as important as the stuff that you're facing today, as important as the needs you have, the things you need God to break in and provide for you, as important as those things are, there's something much bigger going on that Jesus wants us focused on. There's something much bigger than the circumstances that are faced, facing right now. There's something bigger about what's happening tomorrow. Jesus wants us anchored in something much bigger and greater than ourselves. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Prayer is first and foremost about God, and we, and we see this, this God-centered, something bigger than us orientation continue with that phrase we're looking at this morning, your kingdom come. Three words. Three words, your kingdom come. Three words that open up this entire world to us, a rich world, a beautiful world, a world that is here now, but a world that is coming in the future. It's a world about what about God, what he's doing in the world, and what he is going to do in the future. And so the anchor for this prayer, what holds us to uh, the, the, get our eyes on it, is God's kingdom. And we did a series on the kingdom of God. If you've been around for a, a while, we did a, a whole series on the kingdom of God. We looked at the story of the kingdom from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And so if you want to go really deep in understanding this, this huge idea of the kingdom, you can go online and check it out. But for our purposes today, here's what we want to just define, define the kingdom of God as this, the rule and reign of God. Simply put, that's what the kingdom of God is. It is the domain ruled by God as the sovereign king, the rule and reign of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's what holds this prayer and gives it such weight. And so to understand the kingdom and how it impacts us as we pray this prayer, we need to look back into the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. And there we see that God is making a whole bunch of promises that one day he would interact or intervene in, in human history and time and space and that he would set up an eternal kingdom, that he would do this work himself. And we see a lot of different uh, places where this comes up. We see God make a promise to a guy named Abraham. He says, Abraham, one day I'm going to rule and reign over the entire earth. And one day, through your family line, I'm going to bless every single family on the face of this earth. He's like, look up into the sky, see the stars. That's going to be your descendants. I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to set up a kingdom through you. My rule and reign will come through your family line. God is so amazing, too, because he speaks in dreams. In the book of Daniel, we see that God actually intervenes in this dream, and, then, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, and he can't understand it, and so he asks Daniel, this faithful follower of God, interpret my dream for me. And as a part of that interpretation, we see something that, that God says he's going to do in the future. In chapter 2, verse 44, it says this, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And so again, God says, hey, I'm here, and I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to set up a kingdom that is eternal, that's going to stand forever, that no other kingdom in this world in history is able to stand against. I'm going to do this. And at the end of that little phrase in verse 45, he's like, this is certain, it's, it's interpretation is sure. God is going to do this. He's going to set up a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, destroyed or defeated. 
This was the future kingdom. And all throughout the, the Old Testament, we see God break in and share this promise of, of one day there's a kingdom that is coming. It's going to break in and it's going to be marvelous. And this was the great hope of God's people. They looked forward to this day with anticipation of the longing that, that God would do this. That all their hopes and expectations were wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom. And the other thing that you notice, though, when you start to look through the Old Testament and you start to, to dive into some of the passages that talk about this coming kingdom is that almost all of them are, the, the promises of the kingdom are connected to a coming Messiah and what he would do when he came. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 2 and 110 talk about an anointed one, a Messiah, a Savior who would come and execute kingly rule over God's people. Isaiah 11 describes the triumph of this Messiah figure and how one day the whole world would be full of the knowledge of God because of this individual. In 2 Samuel 7, God's talking to uh, King David and makes a promise and says that through his family line, he would set up a kingdom that would be established forever, that would never fail, would never quit, and an honored son, way down the line from David's family, would sit on that throne and reign and rule as a king. And so God's making these promises. He made them through prophets. He made them to kings. Through the prophet Isaiah, God shows up and says, I'm going to bring a great light that's going to burst into this world of darkness, and that light is going to overcome everything. And we read this every year at uh, Christmas, but it's, it's a passage about the kingdom and this coming Messiah and what he would do when he would come. And so God says, this light that's going to come is actually a little baby. It's a little baby and listen to who this baby is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the, the kingdom, will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, of the advance and the movement of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts would do, it, do this. And so through this, this baby, God would set up a kingdom of peace that has no end, a kingdom of righteousness and, and justice, a kingdom that would last forever. And this kingdom was the kingdom hope of God's people. It was rooted in something that God would do in history. It was connected to a, a savior, a messiah, a, a person who would, who would come and bring this kingdom and do everything that needed to be done to set it up and establish it. This was the hope that Israel had. This was the hope that God's people had and it was long time, generation after generation, they waited, they hoped, they, they looked towards this future king and this kingdom that king would bring. And so the thing that we need to recognize is that the kingdom of God and its king are always connected. They're like Bert and Ernie, peanut butter and jelly. They're always connected. You, you can't separate them. And so God's people looked forward with this longing for a day when God would act to keep his promises, set up his rule and reign through this Messiah. They held on to it for generation after generation. They prayed for it. They looked for it. They waited for the day when the king would show up and begin to set up this kingdom that they had waited for for so long. And then one day the waiting ends because Jesus shows up. And when he showed up, the living God had entered into time and space, took on a human body. He had lived for 30 years at this point, and all of a sudden he goes and he gets baptized. God speaks over his life. This is my beloved son. 
With him I am well pleased. And then the first thing that Jesus does is he gets up and he starts announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. He says, God's kingdom has come close. It's near in me. I brought it near. Turn from whatever kingdom you're living for. Turn from whatever it is you're looking to to give you life. Turn to me and you can have this kingdom here. And now the rule and reign of God is breaking in. So Jesus shows up and he announces that God was starting to do what he had promised to do all those years later. Jesus declares the arrival of God's kingdom and it was a signal that all the promises God had made are starting to find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so when we see Jesus on the scene, we see the king's here. The king has arrived. The promised Messiah has come and he is here. The kingdom has come close. He is the savior the leader that God has anointed to take broken and sinful people into eternal life. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one who would powerfully deliver God's people, who would set them free into something far better than what they had. Jesus is the son of David, the honored son who would reign on the throne forever. Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the king God promised to send that would reign over all the earth, that this was the one that would, through whom all the blessing of God would come. This is Jesus. He's the one the Old Testament was talking about. He's the one that was looking forward to. The king has arrived in Jesus. He is king. Jesus. He announced the arrival of the kingdom, and then he went and he demonstrated that the kingdom of God was breaking and that it was actually here. And what you see him doing is he goes around and he starts healing people. People who had been invalids for 38 years, Jesus comes into their life, he speaks or he touches them, and they get up and they walk. There's people who had leprosy and they were ostracized. They were, they were, they were counted as unclean and that they, they actually lived outside of villages. No one wanted anything to do with them. A leper comes to Jesus and says, hey, set me free. You can do this. And Jesus touches him and his leprosy is gone in an instant. We see Jesus raise people from the dead, showing that in the kingdom of God, that death does not have the final say, that it's losing its grip in Jesus. We see Jesus going and spending time with the people that no one else wanted to spend time with, the lost, the broken, the marginalized, the tax collectors and sinners, a foretaste of this beautiful kingdom that Jesus was gathering around himself. We saw Jesus go and perform miracles. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He changed lives. He gave people dignity. He was reversing everything that was wrong in the world. Jesus was doing it because he's the king, and the kingdom's here. He was showing us that the kingdom was breaking in and it was changing everything. New life was possible. Healing was possible. Resurrection was possible. Freedom was possible. Chains being broken was possible. That all things became possible because the king was here and he brought the kingdom. That's not all King Jesus did. He just didn't announce the arrival of the kingdom. He didn't just demonstrate that it was here. He died and rose again to make a way for anyone to get into the kingdom and experience this new, this new reality that, that new life is possible, that no matter what you've done or had done to you, doesn't count when you put your trust in Jesus. It, it, it's broken. Its power over you is broken. Jesus died and rose again. So that entrance into the kingdom became possible and access to all its riches and all these healings, all these new possibilities would become ours as kingdom citizens. The beautiful thing about what God did in Jesus is that there's this radical transfer of the kingdom that you live in when you put your trust in Jesus. This is how the Apostle Paul, he's looking back on what happened. 
He's looking back on what God did in Jesus, and this is how he describes it. He says, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the way into the kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the way into the kingdom. In him we have forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption. We are bought out of the life we are living and we are become uh, connected to God. We are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. We're saved from something to something and now we become kingdom citizens. We are people who live under the rule and reign of God. We get access to all the riches of the kingdom. All that Jesus was doing when he was demonstrating the kingdom now becomes possible for us. It's all here because Jesus is the king and he has brought the kingdom. And one day he's gonna bring that kingdom back in full. He's gonna set all things right. Because when Jesus returns, he's gonna change everything. Everything's gonna change. What we have now, this world, with all its brokenness, all its pain, all its sickness and disease, all of that is gonna be but a memory. And I love how the Bible ends because it points us towards that reality. It speaks of this. One of Jesus' followers, one of his closest friends on earth, John, he, he has this vision, and, and, and he's trying to put into words what this world is going to be like, this kingdom that's going to come, that Jesus is going to bring back in full. And it's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. We see it in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is where it's headed. This is the kingdom Jesus is bringing back, a world where we actually get to be with God face to face. Can you imagine what that's gonna be like? To see this God that we only read about in the Bible and then we actually get to see him with nothing between us, that we get to see him face to face. The greatest prize in all of history is seeing God and we get to be with him and then there's a world where there's no more death, no more pain, no more mourning or tears, that there's a day coming when that world is actually gonna exist and Jesus is the one who's bringing it back as its king. It's coming. The story ends beautifully. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's almost unimaginable what this world's gonna look like. John's trying here. Doesn't even come close. So because of Jesus, the kingdom has come and is coming. He rules and reigns now as the king in people's lives, in the church, wherever he is acknowledged as king and lord. And so the kingdom of God is here. It's broken in. But it's not yet in full. See, what we just read in Revelation is a picture of what it's going to actually be like, that what we can experience in part now, we're actually going to experience in full one day. And so we know that this world is not as it should be. We know that, there's, that things aren't right. People get sick and people pass away and there's brokenness in families and there's things that just aren't right in this world. We feel the weight of that. We feel the, rate of, the weight of that and the pain of that and the sorrow of that. There are good parts, but something's not right. And so to help us understand this tension, it's like, um, so Catherine, my wife and I, we're expecting baby number two, which is amazing. What a miracle. Yeah, awesome. And we're, we're far along enough now that, that, that we start to, well, she can, I can't, but there's, the baby's starting to kick a little bit. 
And, and, and I watch my wife's face, and it's amazing because there's this joy, this, there's something unexplainable that she feels in her belly as, as the baby moves and life is active in there. It's just unbelievable, but that doesn't compare to what it's going to be like when we actually get to hold this little treasure in our hands and say, you're my son or daughter. Like, you can't explain that. As a parent, you know that when you... There's a difference between knowing there's a baby in the belly and then when you get to hold that baby, there's just a joy, there's something that you cannot explain. This is what it's like with the kingdom of God, this tension that we live in right now. The kingdom is here. There's little kicks. There's little moments where things are happening, where where beautiful things happen, where we see heaven come down to earth and the gap between heaven and earth and what we will be looking for and what we will be experiencing in the end is, is here. But one day there'll be joy unexplainable. It's going to be unreal. Just like when I get to hold my second child in my hand, I can't even understand how to explain that with you. I can't even begin to do that. And so we get foretaste of what it's going to ultimately be like in the end. Here and now, there's so much hope in that, found in that reality because it helps us to see that this world is not all there is, that something far better is coming, that there is something breaking into this world that is far greater than words can describe. And so when you and I, when we get on our knees or we pray, your kingdom come, this is a, a prayer that sweeps us into a reality that is eternal. It gets us off our everyday stuff and reminds us that there is something so much bigger going on. The long arc of history is at work. God is at work in the world now, and he will work once again to set all things right. We get swept up into this unimaginable reality. We're at, and then we're asking God to break into this world in greater and greater ways. We're asking his rule to extend to more and more people and places. We're asking God to rule and reign over my life. He's, we're, we're swept up into this something more that more of our lives would line up with this kingdom. So your kingdom come is a, is a prayer about King Jesus and this kingdom that has come and is coming. It's a prayer that's so much more than just about our circumstances, as important as those are. But it moves us off ourselves and our circumstances to something much greater. And I think we need to be swept up into this again and again and again because I don't know about you, but I tend to forget about this bigger reality, this bigger picture that's so often at play because my eyes get down on the, on the day-to-day stuff on, on changing diapers or, or paying the bills or going to work and filling up the, the car with gas and just living life, I, get, I tend to forget. I tend to forget, and I love that this prayer sweeps us up into that again and says there's something better going on, something bigger that we all get to be a part of. And I love how Paul Tripp, we've actually quoted him several times already in this series and from his book called Awe. It's an amazing book about recapturing that awe of who God is. And he, he says in that book that human beings were created to live in heart-gripping, life-shaping awe of God. But the problem is we always replace awe of God with awe of self. He goes on to say this. Vertical awe, amnesia, so it's his way of saying forgetting the awesome and glorious God who created all things and who is at work in this world, forgetting the big picture of the kingdom and what that means. He's saying when we do this, it always ends up putting me at the center. It really does make life all about me. Awe of God means I live knowing that there is a greater story than my personal little story. Awe of God means that there is a greater, a grander kingdom than my little kingdom of one. Awe of God means that God has a plan far bigger and better than any plans I have for myself. Awe of God humbles me, it puts me in my place, it reminds me that I'm small, that since I am a creature of the one who is far greater, it cannot be all 
about me. And so this prayer is a prayer that gets us upward again and gets us outward in the way that we were created. See, we were created to live upward in worship and love of God, and then we were created to live outward to, to love and care and serve other people, to put others before ourselves. But sin and forgetfulness turn us inwards, and so our prayer lives become about me and my wants and what I can get from God, treating God like a vending machine. But what, when we pray your kingdom come, what it does is it sweeps us up again into that bigger reality. It reminds us that there's a God who created all things, that things didn't go right, but he's acted to make them better, and he is continuing to act to advance that kingdom, and that one day that kingdom is going to come in full. And so we get swept up into that. We're reminded that there's more going on. We're reminded that something, there's a bigger picture at play each and every day. And it moves us into this grander, bigger picture. Something grander and eternal. And so we need that. We need that. Like my son Levi, he's two. And so right now he gets really fixated on what he wants, right? He gets fixated on what is here and now. And so, for example, he wants to watch Paw Patrol. Well, if you don't get it to him in the next three seconds, he's going to get really upset probably throw a tantrum. If you don't get him his milk in time, uh, he gets really upset. He gets fixated on the here and now and he forgets that there's this whole bigger picture in our family going on like mom's, mommy's making dinner or daddy's got to run an errand. He doesn't keep that in mind. And so our job as a parent so often is we actually have to get down low on Levi's level and lift his head and say, hey buddy, look at me. There's something more going on here. Daddy and mommy are busy right now. We love you and we want to meet that need, but you know what? There's something bigger going on here. And so what Levi needs is to have his head lifted. And I think that's what we need to once in a while. It's just to have our heads lifted, to get our eyes off of what we see around us and get us up into these godly, eternal things. And so praying your kingdom come is a way that God we get ushered into this idea that there's more going on and we pray for that. We begin to live for something that's bigger than ourselves. We are to pray for something that has come and is coming and that's why this prayer is so powerful and so beautiful because we get to participate in something that God is doing. We get to participate in in this prayer to see something that we can't find in this world come and become reality in this world. C.S. Lewis, he he calls this zainzut. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, Zainzut. It's a German word used to identify the human longing for something we can't find in this world. And Lewis uses this in his books, and it's a theme in his writing, but he, he talks about this longing that we have, and what he says about Zainzut, he sums up beautifully in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so intuitively, you and I, we have this sense that this isn't all there is, that there's something more in this, li- in this life, that there's more to life than this world, that there's more out there. And so praying this prayer, it reminds us of that. It reminds us that, that this world cannot satisfy, that there is beautiful aspects of this world, but there's a, what satisfies is Jesus in the world to come. It reminds us of the longings and the desires that connect us to this, this something more. And so Zainzuk is this feeling that Lewis talks about that points us toward the heavenly home that we're created for. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're tapping into that longing. We're praying for this kingdom to come. We're praying for this this something bigger. We're expressing to God that we want to see Jesus come back to set all things right. We're expressing to God 
that we want to see Jesus at work through his Holy Spirit here and now, that heaven would actually come down, that the Spirit of God would break out, and what Jesus initiated would just continue to advance. We're, that's what we're praying for. We're joining the prayers of all God's people for something better to break into this world, for God to keep his promises to set all things right. We're praying for his lordship over all of our lives, for God's rule and reign to expand to every corner and inch of this planet. We're praying for healings to happen, people to be saved, transformation to happen, chains to be broken, freedom to come, for God's saving rule to break in in my life, to break in in your life, to break into this world in a way that it is never the same. These are the things that Jesus is saying, pray this, church, pray this, my followers. What better, what better privilege than to pray for someone to find healing, for God's kingdom to advance? Jesus is inviting us into this privilege to pray for the unimaginable future kingdom to come in full. It's a powerful prayer that gets us off ourselves and our needs to something eternal. It's a cry from the depths of our soul to say, God, I want you to break in and I want something better to come and I can't wait till that future comes. Bring it now, Jesus. What a privilege to think that you and I get to pray this prayer and join God in this bigger and greater kingdom work. It's unbelievable. And so as we close, what does this prayer mean for us? Well, first off, it reminds us that we have hope. Hope that new things are possible in God's kingdom. See, God's intention all along was to create a new people with new hearts, new affections, and new attitudes through a, through a work of deliverance and when Jesus showed up and he announced that the kingdom was here, he was announcing that new things are possible, that healings were possible, that new beginnings were possible, that hope is here, that there's this reality shift that comes with Jesus' arrival, that you can become a kingdom citizen, that you can live into that this day, today. Not one day, but today. You can live into the reality that you are in the kingdom that you live in the kingdom of the Son and that changes everything. You can taste and experience in part today what the future kingdom will be like. You don't have to wait. Healing, victory over sin, the stuff in your life, life change, it's all possible within the kingdom of God. This changes your here and now. It changes how you go through life because all things are possible when Jesus is your king and you are part of his kingdom. And it also fuels hope for the future because one day, as it be said, Jesus is coming back, that this world is not all there is, that life will be better one day. And we have this great hope to kind of hold us to the floor no matter how hard life gets, no matter the struggles you're in, you have this unshakable hope that one day all will be set right. And so you have this hope now and in the future that when we pray your kingdom come, it just orients us to that and reminds us that we have hope. And that's a beautiful thing. But it also reminds us that we have a part to play. See, prayer is incredibly powerful. Stuff happens when we pray. God moves and he works out of prayer. He works in and through our prayers. Movements start with prayer. Revivals begin with prayer. Prayer is about so much more than me, so much more than about us and how we go about our daily lives. Prayer is about God and his kingdom. It's about seeking God and his reign not just in me, but in the world. And so prayer is about, this prayer is about participating in God's kingdom work. His eternal work that he's doing in and through his son by the Holy Spirit to see his kingdom break into more and more parts of this world and that the kingdom of God would come to earth in greater and greater ways. And so when we pray this, we join God in seeing his kingdom advance. 
We join God in seeing miracles happen. We join God in seeing people healed from sickness and disease and infirmities. We join God in this greater kingdom work. So God's people, we have this amazing privilege to pray and work with God for the advance of his kingdom through prayer, through acts of kindness out of that prayer. And so this is a powerful prayer. When we pray, we seek God's reign now and in the future, in our lives and in the world. And so prayer is about so much more than us. It's about so much more than what is going on in my life or your life. It's about God and what he's doing in this world. And he invites us into that. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying in line with God and saying, God, bring the kingdom. Let it break in more. Bring it in full, Jesus. Let's see heaven come to earth in unimaginable ways. What a privilege. What an amazing gift we have. And so God, would your kingdom come? Would it break in to this world in unimaginable ways? We look ahead to that world um, that Jesus, you're gonna bring when you return to set all things right. And our longing is that we would see more of that world bursting into this world today. Thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to pray and join you in this eternal work, God, called your kingdom. Make us into a people who get swept up over and over again, whose minds are blown, whose lives are shifted, whose lives are changed because we get reminded as we pray your kingdom come that, that there is something more, that the kingdom has come, is coming, and that we have an awesome, amazing king. And so God, would you rule and reign over our lives? May you fuel in us a desire to pray for your kingdom to come. And we ask that that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. So part of our service today, is, as we've talked about, is that the kingdom of God has already broken in. And that when Jesus was healing people and he was setting people free, as he was performing miracles, it was a sign of this reality that new things are possible. And so what we want to do is we want to live in faith and live into that, that the kingdom of God is here. And so what we're going to do is, for the rest of this service, we're going to create space that if you have something in your life that you need healing from, it could be an emotional thing, it could be a spiritual, uh, a mental, it could be a physical thing, whatever it is, if you need healing, you want to experience the kingdom of God, we're going to have our elders and our pastoral staff at the front, and as the band plays, you can come and you can ask them to pray for you. And the beautiful thing about the Bible says is that when we do that, God sometimes shows up and he sets people free and heals. And so as we go, uh, receive this benediction from Jude. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.